how the hell do I get rid of this music? <laughs> Hold on, look at Matthew. Uh... What's going on, sir? I'm on time for once. That's okay. That's good to be on time. I'm like trying to. I did it. I'm I'm so shocked and I'm so happy that this worked. Um, but I can't like join from my. This is so weird. So last time, last week when I did the, um, or actually it was Tuesday when I did the inside the clubhouse space, it like wouldn't let me. It like wouldn't let anybody join. It was so weird. Um, but anyway. It uh, it's got a mind of its own. I think I think it's working now. I'm like trying to even join from a different place, and it like won't let me do it. So, hey, technology can be hateful at times. Yeah, but happy Friday! What's up, MB? Happy Friday! Hello, and happy Friday! What up, James and Matthew? At first, I was like, does he know he's unmuted? I feel like he's reading or whispering an email to himself. So I thought you were whispering. No, in my first game. I'm like sitting here talking to myself, trying to <laughs> join from my desktop and my, I was like testing something out and I could see that the space has started from my other account. Oh, there we go. So I should like, oh, there we go. That's funny. Anyway, see, then I was just talking about, oh, Stacky, hold on a minute here. What the hell's going on here? What? What? <laughs> I mean, her name is in the title. Hello. I'm here. Staggy, what's going on? Usa. I'm here. I'm alive. Hi. Yeah, we're going to do a Usa session? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm here. Staggy's like, yeah, 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 leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. I promise. Look what the cat dragged in. Anonymous. Anon. What's going on? Happy Friday. Hey, everyone, GM. Thanks for the invite to this. Of course. How you been? Uh, Busy. Uh, A lot happening as we prepare for the launch of Schiller and uh, basically need to talk to everyone that I see in here. So it's, it's funny, right? When you introduce something that actually can benefit everyone in Web3, everyone becomes, you know, your target audience or, you know, someone that you need to talk to. So it's been a bit overwhelming trying to just categorize and, and filter and whatnot. But I'm really excited for what we're, uh, what we're launching and what we're going to be able to contribute back to the space. I'm here. I've been, I've been in contact with, with your team. I don't know if they told you, but yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, uh... Recently has been more a focus on, uh, you know, your typical Web3 projects and other like uh, intangibles, protocols, tools, things like that. But content creators and one of one artists are going to be focused on in the coming weeks. And I mean, that's just going to open up the floodgates, quite honestly. But, um, you know, seeing as how this is a Fashion Friday space, I'll just say that fashion and and wearables, whether it be physical or, um, you know, something digital is is something that can be better demonstrated with OBS and, and, you know, with uh, actual like face-to-face communication or some sort of like more visualization, right? It, it, it's something that you need to see in order to appreciate in most, in most cases. So I feel like we'll be able to provide a lot of support there. 
Yeah, I'm super excited to meet with uh, with your team, and and we'll definitely. I'd love to get into it a little bit, and uh, once the room gets warmed up and hear hear more about it. I, I, don't, I mean, I've obviously gone through it with uh, Sam and and Jim and whatnot, but I'm curious to hear other takes um, from the team in terms of like the benefits, et cetera. I, I I thought it was incredible, so I do look forward to diving into that. But uh, let's get the room kind of warmed up a bit. That little bottom purple bubble. With the right now number two, which is just not going to cut it. Hit that. I don't care if it's a GA, GM, GN, or as Joe might say, uh, what's your uh, uh, GFY, Joe? Um, whatever it might be, go ahead and, and uh, hit that and, and comment something. Um, but I'm glad to see you here, Stacky. I wasn't sure if you were going to make it. Um, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. But uh, anyway, it is Friday, which means that we're going to talk um about a few things uh honestly i kind of want to get into a little bit of ai matthew brought up a ton of things i was talking to him earlier about that that are going to make a lot of sense for us to kind of dive into um but this morning uh just to kind of kick things off i got a list from coffee with captain of probably and i'm going to look for it and pin it to the top of like 40 ai sites that i had no idea um about that literally do everything from be your personal assistant to, you know, generate audio based, based on script that you would write out for um, both audio and video, actually. So it's pretty awesome um, to see kind of some of the technology out there. But I didn't know if anybody had like a oh, – Steve is here. I don't know if anybody had like a favorite AI that they use, but – Lately, I've been messing around with Midjourney a lot since uh, I got introduced to it. Stacky's laughing because I took the whole Fashion Friday last week to learn how to use the technology. Um, but I've but I've been using it. So I don't know, Steve. You guys you guys kicked the conversation off this morning. Do you have a favorite one right now that, that you're particularly using? I'm not. So I want to start off by saying I'm not as educated on AI as I need to be when I say this. So I have just been playing with Midjourney. Um, it's really easy to use and it's really easy to refine prompts. So I got the $8 a month in there. I'm probably going to end up upping mine, I'm sure, pretty soon. But I did it today. My daughter actually came down and made her first AI art, which is a Labrador retriever in a snow globe, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. I, I, I've mostly been playing on mid-journey. But I'll say this, kind of I was saying this earlier. Um, I think a lot of people have AI all wrong the more I learn about it. Like, we met, we talked about it on Coffee a lot this week um, just because I've been actually finally dabbling in this. And I think – people look at AI and they see it as this thing. Oh, AI is going to take our jobs. They're going to do this. And it's not that it's a really, really, really powerful tool. So it kind of clicked with me in a couple ways. I am not artistically talented, but I really like, I like, I love language and I love writing. And so I can refine language and writing to express myself creatively in a way that I was never able to. So that's really fun. Number one, but on the flip side, I respect that there are people who maybe aren't as uh, strong from a writing perspective and they're really good artists or they're good at other things. Well, that means that they can write emails and blog posts and other things without having to go through the same problems I have. Or maybe they can take a paper they've written and run it through AI for improvement. So to me, it's a really powerful tool to help, you know, the same way a calculator is going. Like people used to say, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, you in math class, because I'm, you know, I'm 39, they'd be like, oh, not going to have a calculator everywhere you go. Well, I actually do. It's my iPhone and does a lot of other shit too. And so like, oh, like I I had to learn like directions. You're not going to have a GPS everywhere. Well, I actually do. Or a spell check, you know, I'm not going to have a dictionary everywhere. So I think it's one of those improvement tools that if it's used the correct way, it can be done really well. And to me, it's like, that's really, really cool. So I've been 
really enjoying some creative expression through um, uh, Mid Journey, and I think there's just a lot of powerful, powerful AI tools, and the virtual assistants and ones that I've I've seen are really cool. So I'm I'm super excited. I'm finally diving down that rabbit hole. I'm late to the game, but I still think we're all early enough to to play around and figure out. And not only that, like the other last thing I'll say is like, you know, like if I want to get a logo done for a business, how do I do it? Well, now I can go to an AI generator and play around until I get one, right? And and that's really powerful. Or you know, if I want to do a quick thing for a slide deck, instead of going to Unsplash and getting a generic photo that everyone else is using or going to a stock photo, I can create exactly what I'm looking for. So to me, there's just so many applications as a tool uh, that AI has that maybe people are looking at it like this big take over the world crazy thing. And in reality, that's not what it is. R.I.P. Graphic designers. But no, but no, I'd say not, though. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think graphic designers still have an amazing place in the world, right? Um, it's just the little like, you know, quick jobs that they probably don't even want to do aren't going to be there as much or. No, no, no. But those are the bread and butter. Like this is like I'm looking at this from a perspective of where I even came from, because in photo, like one of my biggest gigs was I used to work in house for Narciso Rodriguez. So I'd shoot all of their products and I'd sit there for hours like placing and putting the shoes in position and having to do a 360 shot of them. And it would take hours and hours and I get paid pretty well for it. Now it's done with like a 3D scanner, which basically got rid of that amount of money that was paying my bills for a while. And, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the technology is taking our jobs, but it kind of is the lack of contemporary education to the technology is what's screwing over a lot of the jobs that, you know, for a lot of up and coming artists, those like small $200 jobs or $100 jobs here and there are what really pay the bills. And I think part of us in, you know, absorbing this technology is also taking understanding of, you know, the consequences of technology or the ramifications and how you can sort of utilize the technology also to help benefit. So I, I think when we also have the conversation of that, this, that's always something that I think is important to, you know, remember. Okay. Just a, a pushback on that very quickly. I, I think like that eliminating jobs that maybe can be done by technology isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. I do think there's going to be an adjustment period, but you know, the industrial revolution, everyone's like, oh, no one's going to have a job. Machines are going to do everything. But what it led to was technology and innovation in other areas and other types of skill work that ended up taking off. And while I don't think it's an ideal scenario that, you know, there's that growing pain period of time, you know, I think like, Again, like a graphic design where I'm like, I want to get like a PO app done and I have no skill, right? The fact that I can whip one up really quickly and ha not have to go to a graphic designer, like it sucks. That person doesn't make the whatever money that I'd get if I went to Fiverr or somewhere else. But on the flip side, like that's a better tool and it's going to evolve sort of the workplace as a whole. And I, I think that people who learn how to use AI prompts differently creates a whole new series of jobs. So I, I think it's like anything else in that, in that evolving. I don't think it kills them. I think it just changes the skill level needed and... The, the way you do it. And I still think there's going to be like, I can use an AI prompt as a sort of inspo that I can then send to someone who can do it. So I, I see the point and I think it's a fair like lens to look at it through. And I'm not trying to be cold and callous when I say that, but I think technology always moves the needle on where not jobs are going, but it also moves the needle on where society's going. If that makes sense. I don't know if that sounded really cold and callous. No, I completely agree. Cause I, I think you're not going to really be able to progress without technology and an evolution in itself. But where I think we do need to be cognizant is in the arts, you know, 
looking at a lot of the arts fields, they are being, and, and that's already a industry that is so fraught with, you know, you spend close to a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars to go to art school, and there's no guaranteed jobs. Like no one teaches you how to be an artist. There's not really money in it, and when you're looking at that kind of side of it and where there are these smaller jobs for you to learn to build up your skill because you can't work with a big company unless you have x amount of years or even just apprenticing doesn't really exist the way it used to you know in that industry particular like i think when you're thinking corporate and larger companies and things on that scale sure but when thinking about the arts it is something that we do need to keep reminding ourselves that there is still you know a tangible quality to it or there's something to it that you know uh, it separates it slightly because you know in the context of photography even you know it took us hours and hours years ago to learn how to do certain tricks on photoshop to get aesthetics now it's literally a filter on instagram so you know the ability for us to catch up and keep up with how technology and how you know an industry that you're because by the time I was even graduating and this is only in 2012 they were getting rid of the dark rooms in Parsons because they were like oh we don't need a color dark room any now anymore we just need a bigger C printer and you're seeing you know entire industries being eliminated without anyone really paying attention to art the artistic side of it yeah there's money and there's the ability to do things quickly and there's always going to be that need and facility but in the arts, I think there is something about us, you know, paying attention to the equation. So I have a, I have a question in this regard. I'm glad that we're talking about this and having this type of discussion because this is kind of the direction that I, I wanted to head with it. So, so what do you think of the statement, Matthew? And, and Steve, you can chime in. You've obviously, I think you read this statement on coffee or I heard it. I, I don't know exactly where I heard it. I, I, it was on Twitter and, and the guy said, and I believe it was a, a gentleman, said, you won't be replaced by AI. You'll be replaced by by a human using AI, right? And I used to be from the thought process, and I subscribed to the belief that, no, it's the AI that's like kind of going to ruin things. And, and then I started to use the technology. And what I actually learned um, by using it was that there's actually a skill to it. So I am curious to know, like, is there merit to that? Like, Will will it become a battle of users that have honed their skills in AI? Because let's and then I do want to apply it to fashion because my mind went to like, okay, I used to sit and make prints um, for companies and 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 then I would charge them obviously for these prints um, as textile, right? Like that that's an industry, and it would be really difficult sometimes to come up with um, variations to these, right? It was time consuming and and you kind of wanted to give a variety and, and an offering. And I started to think like, wow, this would have been extremely useful to take certain concepts and feed it in and then get those back out and then deliver those. So I'm just curious, like, Matthew, first, first of all, what's your thought around that statement where the human that, you know, kind of hones the skill? It's not it's not the technology, but the person behind it. Uh, I, I'd agree. Uh, there's an artist in the space, uh, Quantum uh, uh, Eth, uh, Jen. She's amazing. She does really incredible things with AI and her artistry. I've seen her sort of work through her like Polaroid photo work and her different uh, outlets through art and finding her voice in AI. You know, that is a real job, like being able to generate and be able to understand the language to generate things in a, 
efficient way. It's like any sort of artistic industry that's more capitalized. Like if you can do something many times and efficiently, then you kind of are that kind of artist. Like if you can paint consistently well, you know, then you're a painter. Like if you have that kind of aptitude in any profession or skill, I, I think that that becomes, you know, a viable career. I, I think right now it really comes down to the education of, you know, AI and how to teach a generation that, you know, is just a little bit older than us that, you know, is going to be left out of the conversation and looking to how you can integrate history and those who've learned the tricks of the trade and, and you know, have learned better to then educate through AI. Because it, it's definitely going to become the future. It's as easy as just looking at, you know, our abilities of how we can access information. Before you had to use an Encyclopedia Britannica, now it's right in your hand. And I think, you know, the access to information and the access to being able to do things quickly is brilliant. But there is also a human element that you're going to always need and those kind of artisans that can craft the narrative and do it in a way also that maybe is inclusive, I think is important. Yeah, I wonder if that becomes more valuable, right? Like, like almost um, if we start to think about, and, and this is just kind of my pseudo prediction. I mean, I, after using it and kind of understanding um the speed and efficiency and kind of the use cases. I started to like, my mind started to turn on it to say, Hey, you know what? This isn't terrible, but like, does, does the true artistry of like an original work then become way more valuable as we push forward? Because I think a lot, I mean, I just, I can sense it. A lot more artists are just going to immediately pick up this tool and start using it because I think it opens the door to individuals that, like, I, I don't know if Steve said this earlier today or if Captain said it yesterday. It's like, hey, I, like, I can't pick up a pen or a pencil or, or even on a computer and draft up some design of something, but I can think of it. So they can input the right prompts and kind of hone that skill. And now they're sitting at the same table, right? But then to my point, does that make like, I don't want to call them a true artist and then that other person not, but like, does that make the artist that can do that? their work even more valuable. And I think that that's something to think about. So Steve, I don't know if that was you that had said that this morning or yesterday or, or if it was cap or not, but I don't know if you had any thoughts or wanted to elaborate on that. Cause I, I probably butchered it. No, no, that was, that was pretty good. I, I would say this. I, I think that we need to be careful how we say, and you, you, you hedged on it. You didn't say this, but when you kind of say true artist, right? Because um, there's a lot of people who wouldn't consider people a true artist, but he's done pretty well for himself. Right. There's a lot of people who would say, um, that generative art is not true art. And that's actually some of my favorite type of art. I love the elegance of technology bringing something into existence with an artist behind it and, you know, creating it in the final sort of stroke to make that happen is me minting that project, right? That's, that concept is very cool to me. And people might say, well, that, and traditional artists have said that's not art. Traditional artists, I mean, we had, you know, Soul Curry, who's worked with Gabe Weiss and a bunch of others, and she's been doing her collection. She was on our show talking about the fact that it was like, look, like people say, um, that people thought that digital art isn't real art in the art world. And yet I would argue it is. So I, I think that there's just a lot of, um, you know, what is real art questions. And I don't think it necessarily adds value or not. I think talent, skill, and ability is going to ultimately drive it, right? If somebody makes really cool dystopian art using AI, 
nobody's going to care that it's AI. They're going to say, oh, that's a really cool use of that tool. I really want to hang that in my house. I enjoy that art versus saying, well, it's AI art, but that person who painted the dystopian thing I like better, even though I like the art less, right? It doesn't make, so I think like the same way anything else, the merit goes, like there's going to be great AI artists that come up who are able to like use their skill and, and truly like, and I think with any other art, like you're going to be able to read through the bullshit, right? I mean, like part of what makes art really cool is that the art person behind it, you know, they've poured their heart into something and they have a true vision. Like one of the things that's really cool about art when you go to an art museum is you read the side and you see the passion that they're putting on the paper. And I literally mint and don't mint digital art based on that because if someone just says like something generic, I'm like, I don't want to mint that. That's just like them putting generative art together, which is cool if someone likes it and has the aesthetic, but like, that's not my jam. And I think that with AI art, we'll see the same thing. There are going to be certain ways people express what they see in their head. I mean, for me personally, it's been, again, I, I'm not an artist by any means, but it's been this major unlocks playing around and being like, you know, these, these thoughts of like in my head, these like of, of how I approach things and escaping reality and being able to put that into a, generation of art and a generative art project basically with AI and then seeing it pump something out and see four options and be like, well, that's closest to what's in my head in mid journey. Give me four variations of that. And then I'm like, okay, that's closer. And then realizing, Oh, you know what? That's not close. Let me go back to my prompt and add photorealistic or bioluminescent or whatever the term is that ultimately gets it to the direction I'm going. So at least to me personally, I think art is art. And I think there's going to be great AI artists and I think there's going to be like, like I can't recreate what Vicky did. Like Vicky's AI art that we bought on Coffee with Captain that I really like. And not only that, the concept around it, around like her feelings and what she's representing in it, uh, of of wanting to be more like comp wanting to be more confident in certain things that she's expressed in those art pieces, also is part of why I buy. So I think there's a lot that goes into it. So I don't necessarily think it's one's going to be more valued than the other. I just think that people are going to like what they like and appreciate it. And that's ultimately where it's going to end up, I would say. So, yeah, but, but by the way, very poor choice in words. Um, and I caught myself. You heard me kind of stumble over that. Like, I didn't mean like true artists in the sense. I think you understood. Um, I, I was struggling, though, for the word, like, because right now there there isn't, I don't think, a distinction of how we designate. Right. Because it is also new. You know, I just think that, like, like, if you look, if you think about, um, an architect, for instance, that would 3D model something out and then print out that model versus someone that could sculpt that model. Um, both of those may look very similar and, and almost be undistinguishable um, in a sense. But I, I, I put more value in the, in the individual personally that kind of built that by hand. But my point is, if the, if the person can understand the technology and transcend, right, what the person that's using their hands has the ability to do, then who becomes more valuable? So I'm like struggling with this, I think. And, and I, and there is a point, like I start to think about fashion and even from a silhouette perspective, right? If I were to start to feed things into this program, you know, would it become a better designer than, than, than I consider myself or, or that I consider others? That's, that's like to me, both scary and, and exciting so, Matthew, I saw your hand fly up, so I don't know if you had anything to comment uh, on what Steve said or what I said before. Oh, I, I love this conversation because, you know, one of the things that historically always happens is when a new form of art, whether it's or a different movement in art or fashion happens, people always question whether that's art or is that 
you know, high art or high fashion or falling into what like zeitgeist it needs to sit in. And I think we're, you know, in that new movement where, you know, tech is really becoming a part of the conversation in a way that it hasn't before. I think one of the important ways to look at it, especially in the context of fashion, is how beauty is looking at tech right now. I know Armani just did a huge thing, I think, in Shanghai at their new store where they are doing AR integration to test out how your like chemical makeup to create different uh, cosmetics specific to your features or to your needs, as well as like people are creating things like bath bombs that are specific to you, what your brain makeup is. So looking at things at how, you know, AI, even on a crazier level, just looking at, you know, COVID, the vaccines and shit were made partially with AI or how, you know, for interstellar travel, AI is the ability to, you know, calculate infathomable information on a human level. So, you know, there is a symbiotic relationship that is building with these needs and our ability to evolve. And I think it's a necessity. It just becomes now more of a question to all of us of how to integrate and become one with a new type of technology that is helping progress thought in a way that we didn't have the access before. Do you think you're going to see any of the, uh, and this is actually got rubbed for a second. Uh, am I back? You're back. Okay. Um, do you think we'll see any of the large designers, Matthew? Um, and I thought I like almost didn't sleep the other night when I was thinking about this, I was like, who's going to be the first to utilize AI in a runway show for the collection? And I think there'll be a lot that, that's going to create a, a, a big ripple effect, I think, um, in the space. And I'm curious to know if you think any of the big houses would, would actually go there or not. I mean, Valentino just did their first uh, AI generated campaign with Max Fields the other day. And, you know, that's an integration. And again, uh, I'm pretty sure Valentino's caring. Uh, so it's another inroad into this whole like web space for them. I think it's a really smart parallel. I think you're going to see it done if they collaborate with somebody. I don't think that they're going to one-off do it themselves, but I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled in an artist to generate AI for a print or something like that. I could see like Louis Vuitton doing pretty quickly. I know that actually the next collection for Louis Vuitton is going to be designed. I'm pretty sure by kid robot. So you know, that's another possibility. Well, when did that come about? I didn't, I missed that. I think that was an announced the other day or it's still in speculation. I can double check to make sure I'm not just coming up with something off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. Let's check on that because that, that's pretty wild. Um, and that would be huge, obviously for kid robot. They've been around for a minute, um, kind of in the street scene. Um, you brought up something earlier, Matthew, that you and I were talking about in sidebarring, um, related similar to the, the conversation, not AI, but kind of AR. Um, I think one of the beauty brands, if you can remind me exactly of who that was that integrated that into their store. And we were talking about that a few months back uh, about integrating that tech into um, kind of in-store experiences. Who was that that you that you hit me up on? Wait, sorry, I was looking up the the info what were you saying the the ar and the beauty there's a beauty brand that just oh, agree with ar uh, uh, armani just did a installation in shanghai like they're working predominantly in their chinese market right now and that 
like looking at China and what they're doing with technology as far as the beauty industry, because I, I think it just capped 54% of their market in like uh, value. So, you know, China right now, as far as the technology side, because they're still not able to integrate as far as Web3 because they still have their own separate market because uh, their segment is closed. But with the technology and their social integration, it's moving much faster than it's going to move here, uh, particularly with the integration of technology and AR for trying out beauty products, especially with the wellness industry really booming there with COVID and everything. So looking at that sector of the fashion industry and also looking at Estee Lauder just purchasing um, Tom Ford recently, like that's another beauty giant that's really about to try and enter into the luxury field in a big way. So seeing, you know, these crossroads and these integrative forces, uh, you know, I would very much look at how China is developing the technology and sort of take take a lot of notes. Yeah, I mean, we're going to go to Anon here in, in a second, but are you? I'm, I'm assuming these are all AR filters as it relates to beauty that would make the most sense of like kind of virtual try on of like the different beauty products like the lipsticks and the eyeliners and things like that it's that it's using ai to generate uh different products uh i think i, I just pinned uh an article to the top before um like ysl is doing uh a collaboration there's hold on i'm pulling up um sorry i'm trying to read quickly i know that there's a big project coming with sephora um yeah, and the YSL project with, what is it? Oh, that's too many words. All right, but essentially it's creating bath, customized bath bombs and products utilizing person's brainwaves. I mean, so, that's wild. Let, like, let go, they're, let, they're doing crazy let, shit. You, you continue reading down that path, and then let's go to Anon, uh, and then there's something else I'll, I'll pivot to in a minute. But Anon, go ahead, jump in here. So someone had mentioned uh, augmented reality, AR, right? Like, I'm so bullish on that comparatively to virtual reality. Virtual reality requires, in most cases, some sort of, like, external or supplementary equipment, whereas AR, who doesn't already have, you know, a smartphone? Um, and so I think that AR is is very seamless. It's very, like, low friction as far as introducing people to AR opportunities, which then, you know, by extension could introduce Web3. Uh, I mean, Web3 is AR, right? Like, Web3 is not just blockchain. Web3 is, like, a whole kind of, like, paradigm shift as far as how we how our relationship with technology impacts, you know, culture and commerce and whatever else, right? So I think that AR, um, interestingly enough, my friend here is uh he's uh huge into like youtube and twitch and whatever else and so he'll uh he'll scroll like car videos and then the advertisements will pop up or you know there'll even be like the uh the company official ads that they'll just play as their own videos like you know they're they're not even as part of the the, the marketing it, it's just their own channel right and a lot of that for like bmw for example is focused on ar where they're taking people on like these test tracks and putting the vr headset on them and next thing you know they've gamified a driving experience for like you know defensive driving courses or more you know advanced driving whatever it is 
but that can be applied back to fashion that can be applied to you know numerous industries of, of basically making it more accessible for everyone right whether they can afford it or not um, with some of these luxury brands what these luxury brands should do is you know kind of create more opportunity more inclusivity where all that's going to do is is drive the value of the brand as a whole and, and make it um you know more uh, more relevant more attractive um i think that as this whole like consciousness shift is happening like metaphysically around the world you know ever since the pandemic people put value on things that maybe they didn't as much before and i think a lot of that is more intimate it's more emotional it's more personalized and that ar allows for a lot of opportunities to really embrace that and and like i said to make people um or i'm sorry to give people an opportunity to feel included in that conversation i i feel like and i've been of of the like I've always subscribed to AR as being a communication um, medium. And I, I don't know if, if companies realize that as much and it's kind of lost on me why they don't um, because to your point, and, and you actually made a really good um, connection there with luxury brands. I've often said that luxury is not um, equated in my mind to price point, but rather to quality and experience and this is the perfect opportunity for them to utilize the technology to enhance the customer experience and in a really profound way. Right. And it doesn't have to just be on, uh, on the consumer good. Right. I don't even want to say apparel because this is really for any consumer good, but it can be, you know, in locations, right. To where stores talked for a long time and, and, um, the decline of malls and things like that, that retail was dead because the experience just became mundane. Well, herein lies the ability to have technology through even just a simple QR code that can activate, you know, AR experiences um, in ways that, that they didn't really have before. So I, I totally agree with you. And, and I wonder, like, how these brands will utilize the tech. I mean, we, you know, I have good ways that I would want to utilize it, but I'm just curious the ways that, that exist in people's minds to do that. I don't know if you go ahead, Aina, if you want to jump well, in. I just wanted to echo what you just said, um, which is that these luxury brands that have been around for 50 to 100 years, they've built a certain identity or reputation up to this point that has worked for them. But again, we haven't had the type of calamity the type of transitions uh the type of just you know generically changes that we've seen in society that we've had recently and tech of course is really pushing that narrative as well and so i think all of these brands if they want to be sustainable and if they if they want to you know continue to be received well by people right like i think the balenciaga thing was a really interesting example that you know 20 years ago 30 years ago if some foul, you know, attachments or associations were brought up, it'd probably be pretty quickly just shoved under the rug um, and, and it wouldn't get that much attention. But now people care about that type of stuff, right? Like they want their brand to be humane. They want their brand to be uh, charitable, altruistic, philanthropic, right? And, and so that means they need to be inclusive. So this whole idea of, being uh being exclusive or or that that that's where like their value stems from 
I don't think it's going to work for most of them. I think that that tier is going to is going to shrink incredibly as far as who can actually get away with saying, oh, well, we're so-and-so, so therefore, you know, bow down to us. Or so therefore, you know, you can, uh, you can conform to, to, our, to our culture that has been around for, like I said, close to 100 years that is now outdated. It's archaic. In, in many cases, it's misogynistic. You know, it, it, it's, it's racist. Like, there's a lot of undertones that I think are now being, are being recognized, are being called out. And so these, these brands do have to be more forward thinking. They do have to be more genuine and, and just like, like I said, embrace like human nature as far as how they're connecting with their audiences. And I think that, like I said, that's an emotional thing. And that's where you are going to want to be welcoming as opposed to being like, you know, um, like waspy or, you know, snooty, right? Like you don't want people to feel like they're not a part of the story. Um, because if anything, I think, you know, in the paradigm shift that we're in the midst of, that is how you're going to lose is by trying to segregate and trying to like put people in class systems. I think people are pretty fed up with that. And I think even a lot of the elite culture is, is now recognizing that maybe that wasn't the best approach. Maybe like clout and, and, you know, notoriety should not be derived from materialistic goods. Matthew, jump in. Yeah. This hits a point that I look at all the time and I think you know, you're so correct with how a lot of these brands are steeped in whatever heritage they've sort of set forth from themselves, and they're kind of stuck with that narrative. And what you're seeing right now is the biggest opportunity for smaller niche brands to collaborate with these huge houses that are going to have a heritage. And I, I agree with you to a certain point when, you know, exclusivity is always going to exist. Like you have Goyard, and like Goyard doesn't advertise or anything. It's one of the more exclusive and hard to get to brands you know the accessibility or like i think it's almost more difficult to really understand the brand of goyard more than an hermes that sort of has this clout culture around it but it's still on that same kind of level but what you do see is this ability for brands to parallel and to collaborate like you have you know balenciaga screwing up but they also parallel with adidas to connect with a streetwear line because it's like if you look at the heritage of balenciaga what demna is doing doesn't really speak at all to the native heritage for the most part but with these parallels to adidas it's speaking to a younger culture it's finding ways to shift the narrative of heritage or looking at how you know adidas has worked with gucci or how actually adidas has pretty much just worked with everybody or seeing Nike with Dior, you know, like all of these different companies finding ways to parallel with streetwear companies or Supreme working with Louis Vuitton, like these kind of heritage brands and the opportunity for brands to develop their own community and culture to then be able to parallel with these other luxury houses. You know, I, I would, I, I think one thing that could save Chanel at this point would potentially be looking at you know, who she should be paralleling with right now. It's like, you don't really see the Pharrell kind of collaborations anymore and that kind of artistry. You need to have those kind of collaborations to evolve the house's narrative and to evolve any brand. Like, even if you're a small brand, it's always about how you can collaborate with another brand to really develop more than just a root heritage because that's only going to get you so far. 
Yeah. And I also think, I mean, I, first of all, I love what you both said um, from, from top to bottom. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think here's where it gets interesting for me. It's like, you know, imagine if they utilized AI and, and AR in the sense of like, we, I talked about the experiential kind of in-store experience, right? Um, but what about like, including your customers and your consumers in this, like, they can then participate in kind of design submission or, or, or you could set up certain types of concepts that they have, but this brings it to a whole nother level. I mean, you could do these things in store um, where you can just take logo redesigns. You talked about Goyard and when you think of Louie, like they often do a lot of different crazy art. I see kind of AI as being a really open um, kind of space for them to explore, um, whereas they could bring in the consumer on something like this. And I think that that's really profound because once again it, it almost levels the playing field right like you don't have to be this famous artist um, necessarily to use the technology in that way and some of the things that i've seen come out of ai are just like mind-blowing where it's it's it but the person had the prompts to do it and i was like oh wow i didn't i i wouldn't i didn't think of that or i wouldn't have thought of that so i think that could be really really interesting because it almost says like you could have a, a, a level of intellect that isn't necessarily the artistry, right? But it's from a prompt perspective, something that maybe an artist might not have thought of. And I, I think that's what's really interesting to me um, because I think that that opens up things um, to a pretty high degree. Lauren, I saw you came up on stage. Uh, just didn't know if you had anything particular to add to the convo or if you just wanted to join and hang out. Yeah, thanks for having me up. Um, it actually, I did have something to add. Uh, great conversation. Uh, the the uh, current uh, part of it is making me think of, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever checked out, MoMA does these uh, salons uh, where they look at, you know, current issues. A lot of times they touch on technology and, and arts and culture. And they did one recently, I think it was called uh, like the store in the street or the store front, front in the street. And it basically talked about this trend of, you know, or, um, I guess, trends of, uh, you know, a lot of stores have been closing in the wake of the pandemic. Is it because of, on, you know, online shopping and tech innovation, the ability to use AR dressing rooms and that kind of thing? Um, and one of the speakers who's, I can't remember his name now, and I'm so sorry about that, but he made an interesting comment about uh, the way that he basically said that, you know, in the 80s when Wall Street invested a whole bunch of money in shopping malls and that kind of thing, um, and then, you know, failed financially in that respect, that that was the end of culture um, and its replacement with marketing, which I thought was a really interesting comment. And basically, a lot of the people on stage were saying that, you know, there's a noticeable difference. Like if you're if you if you didn't shop in that era, if you weren't in these stores, like if you haven't spent time in an opening ceremony, it might sound like weird to hear this. But, you know, there was basically like noticing how there's, you know, less culture and as a result, less community. And so when I was listening to this, of course, I was thinking about the way that our digital culture is so linked to uh, community. And, you know, it it makes me think of a potential for um, sort of getting that back, like moving away from marketing, which is just so blah, like, you know, it's become, you know, sort of blah and just noise that we don't really pay attention to. And, you know, getting back to that idea of culture and community, even if it's in digital spaces, you know, uh, even if it's, you know, virtually with our digital culture, or may, perhaps especially like that, you know, could be very well what 
allows it to, you know, go back to um, things that felt a little bit more special and things that, you know, you felt uh, um, like things that you would keep forever kind of thing. And, you know, it also, I think, ties into fast fashion as well a little bit. But I just thought I would add that if you guys are interested in this conversation, you might want to check out that MoMA salon because it was uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really interesting. If you can find that and, and, and direct us to that or pin that, that would be awesome. Um, and, and you said something that, that I've, I, I've been saying for a long time, and it's almost like, um, what's the proper word? It's an heirloom, really, is what it is. You, you start to, and if you can embed um, the physical, right, with, with the technology that, that provides some of these experiences, like an NFC chip or QR code, quantum ID, whatever that might be, you're creating heirlooms and you get away from the things like fast fashion and then in store, right. You're linking these things and, and you're creating really unique experiences. I'm, I'm really, really, um, I guess bullish is part of the word, but like passionate about stores looking into this and really adopting this technology to revive retail. Um, because what you said in terms of like the culture, right? Like that, that is definitely part of it. But it was also just, it was what we did. We went to stores because at that time, that was kind of the tech, even though it wasn't really tech, but like there was all of these new advertisements and installations and reasons for us to go out and get into these stores. And then it just became like so oversaturated that that experience just died for everyone. And the internet was the new technology. So that became the the serviceable um, opportunity for people to be fed, whatever, right? And then we were, we know that that's all sorts of things. Now I see the opportunity for the retailers to take that back, right? Take the power back and, and actually create an environment where people would walk in and be like, you know what? Like, I didn't want to leave that store because of X, Y, Z, and that tech was just so cool. Um, so that's everything that you said resonated with me personally. Uh, Matthew, I don't know if you have anything else to chime in on that. And I also saw that Bruce is here. Bruce, happy Friday. Happy Friday. I mean, I think that I don't know what prompted the discussion, but what you said about the experience. Sorry, I'm in, out in the city about to get in a car heading back to Matthew. Um, there was a bus. I have been out and about um, to all of my favorite designers and PR houses pulling beautiful, amazing things for Jessica Cruel, who is the editor-in-chief of Allure, and she is Beyonce's personal guest to Dubai next weekend for the opening of the Royal Atlantis, Dubai, on the island shaped like a palm tree. Um, so we are stacked. I can't wait to start sharing, you know, everything about this trip. But that is probably more alpha than I should. But like what you were saying about there being a lack of experience in your day-to-day -day retail, like, is completely true. Um, take Macy's 34th Street. It is the largest store in the world, you know as they bill it and there's nothing to do in there. There are no interesting clothes. There's nothing to do. Um, you can walk from floor to floor and go from Starbucks to Auntie Anne to Starbucks to Auntie Anne and back again. So that's, that's my hot take on that, but I don't know what prompted it and what was before. No, we're just talking about technology and, and, you know, I really, I, I, I really wanted to drive the conversation today kind of around the tech because it, it relates so heavily, I think, to the future of our space, Bruce, like the, the future of, of retail, of apparel, of fashion is, in, is definitely rooted in utilizing this technology. Right. And I think you and I both see that. I wish that the stores um, 
saw this you know quicker we know how slow that sp- the space moves right there were companies um just a few years back that, like still didn't have websites like e-commerce and it's like what are you like you're a dinosaur um so i'm just curious to see how long it'll it'll be before they kind of take this technology up but they're missing the mark and like you just said you bounced around to like that's the experience of bouncing from store these stores could work together and using blockchain technology create and drive traffic from store to store and almost gamify that and like if you were to tell them that they would probably laugh you out of a room but literally you could do that today like that's technology through po apps that you could do if you wanted to um and then through that kind of experience um you're you're gamifying them all you're gamifying you know and when i say them all like obviously outdoor or whatever like you're you're actually driving traffic to multiple locations and they're all working together and everybody wins. So anyway, your hand went back up. So I'll kick it yeah, back. Yeah, sorry. No, and I, there are are more people who have a better understanding of the PR world in here for sure. But even like the thought of blockchain being put in use to PR, you know, I'm I'm at, you know, a couple of different PR houses sometimes multiple times a week and like if they you know, if there was a way where they knew exactly where everything was, if they were using the blockchain, then it's like you don't have to go, you know, it's like you put in the request and instead of putting in the request, it's it's on the even on the PR person side, it's like it could be easier of like knowing if something's available or not instead of, you know, I'm on their tushies and they have to be on someone else's tushies at the designer because, you know, that they need they haven't gotten an answer so they can't give me an answer so it's like i have to be extra understanding of that because it's like they can't just make a feathered ball gown appear out of nowhere it comes from somewhere so if there was like a usage of that like i think that that's something that i don't know if people have talked about but like you know it's like even it sort of almost like (sighs) taking blockchain to edi and i don't know enough about edi to speak on it at length but my mother's done edi for like God, probably almost 20 years, um, which is sort of like uh, like fulfillment almost for different companies. Everyone uses it. She's worked for fashion companies. She's worked for food companies and everything in between. So it's like all of these things that aren't the sexy part of fashion even, you know, the consumer facing could, I think, be totally, um, you know, at least streamlined for the people who work in the industry on the back end making all these things happen. Bruce, like That's knowing like how you worked at Chanel and Van Cleef and all these different uh, in Prada for so many years, like how do you see the luxury experience in the retail side? Like when you were working there, or how those different companies could benefit from you using the technology. Um, I mean, even the same, like the fact that like. There are big major luxury companies that are still, you know, figuring out how to best use use even just like a QR code for for stock. Um, it wasn't that many years ago. I worked at Chanel. I was there when they were closing 15 East, um, the building that they own on 57th Street, and moved to a temporary store on Five East. And then I spent a couple months in operations, and I, I literally am the person who wrote the binder on how to organize the costume jewelry in, you know, for the new stockroom that they still use. And you know, it's numbered. It's num. It's like it's a like a one through a you know ten thousand sort of numbering system, which could so much. It could be made so much easier 
you know, now that associates in these stores are getting phones and tablets and, you know, I feel like I worked in retail, luxury retail in a very interesting time where it was like the end of the analog era. Um, and you're sort of seeing the introductions and you see it's, I think even more than customer facing and yes, gamifying, this is something that we're, we're all talking about, but it's the, how can this technology be used to make the service better? You have to not only have the technology, it's one thing to have an iPhone be able to scan something and see if there's product, which is something that's able to do now. And I think it would be greatly expanded with blockchain but like that makes you have to train the associates and you have to get them willing to use it and i've seen so many companies just sort of like give it to people you know you know you hand someone who's worked in the store for 25 years since it opened and you hand them an iphone with apps they're like i i know i'm not using this i don't need to use this i don't need to learn a new thing when i have everything on paper um so it, I think that'll come as a generational change and as well as, you know, making it show for these companies to show how valuable these technologies can be in um, customer service. A lot of companies will talk customer service, but not actually embody what it means. And a lot of what that means is like you don't want to go into a store and you know you have the intention of buying something and the experience is so frustrating because even if you do get an associate that's willing to help you then you have to worry about do they have it in stock you know you have all of this um i don't know what the term is but it's sort of the the faux scarcity of of product there are more products made by each of these companies more and more every year there's nothing that is really that um, that you can't get your hands on for some price. And, um, but it, it's, it's, it could, it's the ease. If you make it easy to shop with you and you've come into money, it makes you more willing to continue to build the loyalty. I think it's that. I, I want to dive into that in a minute, but I know Mary, Mary Beth, I saw you kind of come off before. Did you have something to add in before I, I actually talk I, about the service? Yeah, I was just saying what Bruce, what you were talking about, about blockchain technology being implemented on the, you know, the non-fashion side of fashion, right? Like you had me thinking with like archives, like when you're pulling clothes for something, I mean, I guess every person has their own job right in that process but like knowing where it's been on what date on whom the label and everything I could totally see that as being such a more efficient process um, that doesn't really cut out of you know creative means or anything like that but that's such a (laughs) that that aspect of that process is very time consuming so I was literally picturing that in my head seeing you know I remember like this was in my junior days, right? And I just remember like, oh, so-and-so wore that to that party at this so-and-so venue, right? And I'm like, oh. And they're like, yeah, we just remember that. And I'm like, I wonder if there's a a better way to illustrate and kind of depict those availabilities to people um, electronically so you're not wasting an hour and a half and then like lugging 40 things around looking around for something that you shouldn't even be looking for. So thanks for sharing that, Bruce. I, I think there's an interesting aspect, Bruce, you brought up a really good point and, and Mary Beth are kind of hitting on it too. Here's where I like, think about what you just said, Bruce, in terms of service in store. If I were to go to, into a dressing room with five items, right? And the dressing room automatically 
recognized by reading the RFID or, or the, the NFC chip or whatever that might be for the articles. And it systematically creates a list of similar items that might work for you. And by the way, it knows uh, if they use an interactive mirror, it knows your size specification because it already scanned you. And it knows the size spec of the items that you had. So if these items work or don't work, it's automatically giving suggestions to um, the rep to, to go grab these items, right? Um, and offer them up as suggestions. So I think the technology um, definitely can provide um, customer service assistance um, utilizing, you know, those are, that's like four different technologies right there from the AI to the NFC chips to, to everything. Um, yeah, like it, it's, I, I just think that, I think that there's something there. Mary Beth, go ahead and hop back in. The the only thing that that mirror is missing is that live person saying, oh my gosh, that looks so fabulous, which makes me buy four more things or giving me that validation. That is, I mean, as cheesy as that sounds, like that is part of that experience that I crave when I shop, you know what I mean? And so it, do I know this person? Do I, could they be lying? Sure. But it works on me, right? Cause that's the kind of shopper I am. And that I, that's the only thing, unless they come up with an AI robot, that's going to talk to me like that, but it probably won't be the same. It won't be the same. I think that like, it, it's exactly that. Like it, it, these technologies need to also be thought of as something to assist the the professional in the store because you know especially the the higher up you go like these are lifetime professionals like i i am in cases like running into people that i worked with 10 or 15 years ago um and you know it's like it's either you stay in fashion or you decide you sell your company and you decide that you're going to paint in the cat skills um you know like todd oldham and then you come back 25 years later or you you know, sell a big line to Target like Isaac Mizrahi, and now you just, you're a fabulous elderly man who does cabaret appearances at the Cafe Carlisle. But like, especially on the retail end, like, you need those lifers, and the lifers are aging out. And the companies, I don't, I think are trying to replace that experience. And I, it's so important to add to that experience, because it's exactly that. Like, you don't want a computer telling you you look great the computer doesn't have the same kind of experience even if it's an all-knowing ai uh, i just i hesitate to think and especially like getting to know someone there are things that you you know it's it, i'm sure like mary beth stacky like you know when you're in a fitting room when you're working with someone you're working with someone you know sort of one-on-one um and you're working with someone who's been doing what they do for so long, they're able to pinpoint things like I had a client at Prada who every blouse she bought or she needed one like specially made shoulder pad that the ladies in the scene, you know, the seamstresses would make her a shoulder pad to even out her shoulders. I'm not saying an AI won't think of that, but it's you also have to have that very niche knowledge that is almost, you know, in a weird way, like very luxury retail is like a cottage industry. Like you can't look these, you know, look these things up necessarily on YouTube to, to become a master. Like there's a lot of experience that needs to be had, you know, working with people. Um, but I do think a lot of these technologies could benefit that. Um, but also like on a more mass market level, that's amazing because that, 
they don't have the staff, the same kind of staffing to create that experience. So it really, I think it depends on the price point. And, and let's, let's talk about this for a minute, because now let me clarify, you definitely need that, that customer service um, representative there. Like you need that, that individual there. And, and in fact, if this, if this works well and the technology around the entire store enhances the experience and brings the fun back into shopping and, and keeps people in the store, you might even need more. You might even need to hire more people, right? That's that. That's like that's where I'm I'm thinking the technology can enhance the experience and really give more power to the customer service um, because it's making decisions that you know maybe frustrate the the individual. It's like, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, but it's like I don't want to have to go out and find these eight things around the floor. It's kind of giving the suggestions and like, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good, and they can actually select from that list. And then you're training into really being customer service related and handing the person, uh, you know, like holding the person's hand because you can, right? And and that's sad that we've gotten to that point today because as you and I both know, like when I was growing up, there were stores that I would walk into. The second I walked into the store to the second I left, I felt like I was a priority, right? The, the person knew my name, where I came from, things personally about me, like my taste, like all of that. And I just felt really important. And we've lost that today. We all know that, right? That's like a, uh, almost like a lost art form in retail. So just keeping up to, to tabs with reality, it's like you can go back to trying to train individuals to be more focused on that because maybe it's ADD, maybe it's culture, maybe it's just the youth doesn't give a shit. It was Abercrombie. It was the displeased individual smelling like fear said Abercrombie with that blasting music that that's what killed it but but listen i mean you're right the days of you know the vendeuse not even the sales associate the vendeuse when you would go into a fine shop and there wouldn't even be any clothes on display because you worked with your 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 one vendeuse for 10 20 30 plus years if they went from nina ricci to chanel you went from nina ricci to chanel um and because you it was more of this person will not direct me wrong but that was also an era of of so much more customization than we have right now but also like is there a way for like like how about more high-end like could something like this help you know the sort of i don't want to say dressmakers but the people who do you know not like a big house like valentino or chanel or dior but um maybe like alexander vothier or someone like that um roland vanderkamp who does low quantity, high quality, like couture custom pieces, Marina Moscone in New York, um, you know, people like that, like, and sort of help them reach more clients by having them able to actually visualize rather than being someone who was brought up and raised to understand that your clothes come from a sketch from a designer, which is, again, an era from long ago, like when the Bergdorfs and the Goodmans still lived on the 10th floor of the building, listed as janitors. Well, here's a crazy thought. Like, what if the technology can bring back that experience, right? Like, that's that's a really profound and interesting way to think about it. Um, So, like, this is just all food for thought in terms of, like, 
you know, you're bringing up things to me. Like that's, where did that go? And we all know where it went. It's like, who has, who has the capability and the time to do that? Right. Um, so it's just, it's, it's interesting to think about. And MB, I saw your hand fly up. What's up? I, well, that experience, right. I was, I, I was just, I was trying to compare like when Bruce was talking about that one-on-one and you were saying how that experience, right. With that one stylist or that one, uh, lifer, you use the word lifer, Bruce. So like, for example, my, um, I'm going to use Nordstrom just for an example. So like my, uh, salon guy, the shoe salon guy, right. Same gentleman of seven years because he was the only person that understood my entire foot, right? I have a very unique foot. Okay. So like I can't wear certain brands and he knew that like from the get go. And every time I tried to go to any other store, even another Nordstrom, I was like, Oh, do I have to go through this process with them? Like he knew exactly what to put in front of me and what not to right, based on my foot. And I was thinking, okay, well maybe that aspect of the process, right? With technology is something that can be quote replaced. I didn't say replace him, but it's that aspect of knowing that Christian Louboutins will not fit my feet, but Mew Mew's will or shoots will. Do you get what I'm saying? So that is just one part. But what is also, like I said before, what is missing from that add-on of technology is he's that technology is not going to ask me, you know, how my day went or how some guy, this is previous to marriage, like broke my heart or something, right? So like that is the part that I just love. Matthew, hop in. You don't have to raise your hand. Sorry, I'm trying to abide by the cue. But like, first off, I I never need an Alexa telling me that I look fat. Like that, that I just, I'm not going to be able to handle that. But I think this is actually making me rethink how, you know, the shopping industry might even evolve. You know, Amazon just acquired, um, oh God, what is it? Um, the one that gets stressed, uh, the rent the runway. And, you know, that in its own self, I think, you know, this is an opportunity for, you know, the department store is kind of dying out unless it's a boutique one that holds a certain kind of clout. And the bigger stores aren't really succeeding. I I think, you know, this could be a moment when it actually shifts to the stylists becoming the new curators of and having that kind of like back end access to all of it. Like if there's a way to sort of shift that perspective and giving this opportunity to a lot of individuals, like I know Bruce spends hours going through these different sites you know, pulling and cultivating for his different clients and being able to say, these are the things you should try on. And then this is stuff that you should buy this blah, 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 blah. And I think, you know, the industry in itself, it, it, I think it should even go back to just those kind of curators, those individuals, like you just basically need a personal gay man to tell you, don't do that. Yes. You said it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Because it doesn't sound good coming from a robot, you know, from a machine, the dress is too small. I mean, I know the, the machines don't talk like that. They have You're, like, like years. Do you want to tell you about I'm your like muffin Rosie. top or do you Even want to say the robot didn't talk like that? No, you want to, you want someone to be like, you know what? 
it's the invisible zipper, which I will say it is true. An invisible zipper's worst enemy is a waist seam. So like that is that is truly never anyone's fault except for the the tech people and the trimmings people. But you know, it's like you want someone to come up with an excuse, a plausible excuse, and say, you know what, I can bring over Nargis, who's an intimate, and I think that she has the right underneath to go in and this will be perfect and you'll still be comfortable. It's like, can you, can you get that? That's the biggest thing. Uh, an AI, even if it's scanning your it's body like, and you're giving it's like it weird, your proportions. It's like this weird sort of like, almost like kowtowing politeness, but also holding the, the importance of holding the knowledge. So it's like, it, I think it could be super, super, super beneficial. Even like Mary Beth with what you're saying with your shoe guy. Like I get it. I grew up in Northern New Jersey and if, if our friend Jen was here, she could tell you the stories of Benji at Saks. Ben, you know, he was like, he looked like Ursula the Sea Witch, bald Ursula the Sea Witch. Um, um, but he had every, you know, local socialite and under his thrall. Like there was a time where, you know, like you would get handwritten notes. Like I, I remember spending years, I still do it because I love writing and writing notes in my awful handwriting. But like, you don't have to be a hundred thousand dollar a year customer to get a handwritten note. It takes five minutes. And uh, I think, you know, it's like a lot of the companies are losing that. Like, yeah, you'll get, of course, you're going to get a note when you spend a big, you know, a large amount of money and they're sending you something, you know, okay. But what about like, I was thinking of you or I, you know, I hope that your son's bar mitzvah was lovely or, um, you know, like non sales oriented things like, it, I hope, would love to see this technology free up a little bit of time for the people in the stores to be able to connect with their clients. Like that, yeah. that's my dream. That's, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and here, here's the thing. It's like, I'm glad that you said that because that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like they're giving you, so there's, there's so, so let's bring both what, what Mary Beth mentioned and what you mentioned, right? Like she's talking about the ability for it to understand um, uh, historical data on the customer, right? At the same time, like what's in the stock in the back so I don't have to go look um, and giving suggestions to the customer service um, individual to be able to service the customer better. They're saving a lot of time. Like how often like do we walk into a store and they're like, let me check in the back. Like I have no idea. Like, there are and you go sip your coffee. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whatever you do in the back. But it's like, just wasting time like just a lot of time wasted the customer walks out like whatever that might be now i know there are plenty of stores you walk in you know apple pioneered this like they've got everything on their on their um ipad like they know what's going on from the second you walk into the second you leave but not every store is like that but they but they should be like they should utilize the ability to have that technology do all these things because what you said is important Bruce. like imagine like bringing that back and like stores did that that people would, they would recognize that. Right. And then like, like Brian, who's down and who's listening, he said his wife, he messaged me. He's like, my wife doesn't even go to real stores anymore. She goes and, and is gone all day. When she gets home, she's upset because she could have got better deals online. She says that her, the fun of shopping isn't fun anymore. I think things like this bring back experience to the, to the customer to where they come home and they say, you know what? I could have got a little bit of a better deal, but that was fun. Like I really enjoyed being there and maybe it was part because of the AI or the AR and the clothing um, or the customer service rep. I, I just think that there's, I think that's the opportunity that I'm just kind of shocked isn't, isn't like, 
a wave, you know, or we're just that early. Like, am I that early in the, in, in saying all these things that they're just not there yet? Or are they just fucking lazy? Well, I mean, you know, the department stores especially are the dinosaurs, like, trudging their feet, not wanting to change anything. Um, and also, like, the secret of the back rooms, it's, it is a complex, multi-layered thing. Like, yes, of course, there's always someone drinking a cup of coffee, not helping. Um, but a lot of stores don't let their associates look for stock anymore. And, the, you know, they have special operations people for them. But you have one person who's running um, through the stock rooms and, you know, like 16 clients waiting. And then the associate gets reprimanded if they go and find it themselves. And, you know, it, then you have you know, speaking to the manager, the manager's at her de their desk having a cup of coffee, and then you have the assistant to the personal shopper down there taking up their time, you know, being like, okay, but I need this, this, and this, and this, and this transferred. And, you know, I think it all, like, feeds into each other. Uh, and having, like, this technology on the back end, on the unsexy end, I think would make for a more seamless, more, it would, it need, the fun needs to come back to shopping. It's exactly that. There's no fun. You walk into a store, they have one size, it's a double extra small or a double extra large, and you're like, I need a medium. And there's one, and it's on the other side of the country, and your event is tonight, because no one shops ahead of time anymore. All these stores are like, yeah, we can send it to you. Yeah, but you have to plan on sending something at this point. If someone's walking into a store, they need it. They, they need it or they want it, like, today. I agree. And, and, and stores need to capitalize on that. Like I said, like going back to the eye mirror situation. Well, let's step back for a minute. Like the fact that stores aren't somehow having people, I don't want to say like, like log in or clock in, but like when I enter a store, if I did have the ability to do that, and there are a variety of ways that you could do that, um, where they know who you are when you enter. And then that historical data is, is there. They know you're in the store. They know kind of how long you're spending in there. And, and then once again, they can make suggestions for you in a, in a much more efficient way, right? There's, there's data there uh, to allow them to do that. It's just, it's kind of mind boggling. And by the way, if you do that and they know that you're in the store, there could be a personalization to that, right? In terms of like the way you could be marketed to, the way you could be advertised to. If you did think about um, things like AI and AR, um, capabilities in the store especially when you enter the dressing room that's where I, I really think the biggest miss is if if i walk into a store and i go into the dressing room and they know it's me um there is a whole host of advertising and marketing in that dressing room that could be done through things like an interactive mirror um that are profound right that would make me walk away and say i've got to go back to that store because that was just that was rad like i didn't want to leave the dressing room because it was just so cool like i was getting videos on you know like how the garment was made i was um getting suggestions based on um what you know what i bought last time and what i might like and the person was just bringing these to me and driving conversation with me so i, I think it's i i just i really am just kind of surprised that we're not seeing a lot more of it but i i have a feeling it's coming um i'm just curious as to what's going to come first you know it's almost like a chicken or the egg um it's like ar is going to enter um, these stores are AI, uh, even in the kind of the ways that we spoke about before in terms of suggestions. But Bruce, I imagine in your travels, and you seem, correct me if I'm wrong, you seem to be kind of traveling the, the globe. It sounds like you're going to go to Dubai soon. Um, are, are you seeing anything like this in stores internationally? 
or is it just the U.S. that sucks and we're like way behind or or is it not anywhere at this point? It's not even a blanket statement anymore. It's not country by country. It, it like depends on the brand. And, it, you know, that's what it comes down to. I think companies know that Americans are wi- they have gotten to the point where we are just willing to accept less, um, pay more, accept less. That seems to be the motto for for selling here. Um, or, you know, just in general, it seems to be the mindset. Um, but where you really got me, you, you lost me when you said advertisements in the dressing room, but then you got me when you mentioned product knowledge, because there's so much product knowledge that is not shared with the client, whether, you know, the, the client's not interested or the associate doesn't rem- doesn't actually know or they know but they don't think the client's interested and then you give a little and you're like okay or you know but that i think could be so fascinating because there's so much that goes into every piece every collection you know if you put on a blouse and the mirror in chanel you know came up with a, something inobtrusive it needs to be inobtrusive it needs to not be like cyberpunk but you're in the fitting room and a little um you know, bubble pops up and you can tap the bubble and it can say, you know, the collar on this blouse is inspired by Catherine de' Medici because uh, Coco Chanel believed that she was Catherine de' Medici reincarnated. Are you interested? Tap more. And then you could learn more about that and those things. But it also comes down to um, what the brands want to do and what they're pushing. Yeah, that's true. What I'm, what I meant just like, uh, kind of elaborate on the advertising part of it like you know i'm i'm xyz customer and i have specific actions that we know drive um, algorithms to produce things that we see especially in social media if i'm in a store and there's certain brands that i gravitate towards by purchase history like this is why i said it'll be important to have the historical data on the customers there in your store then you can target them, right? And brands could technically pay for this. Like, so it creates another revenue stream. There's just, there's so many things and opportunities there um, that, that, like I said, it's, it's, it's almost low hanging fruit because all of the technology is there. Um, but I think it's just going to take certain brands kind of putting it all together and, and doing this. So that's what I meant. But when you talk about PK, like I think product knowledge is like, I, I see brands paying for that tomorrow right? Like who wouldn't want to know as they're trying something on, if it had some cool, like even think from a tech perspective, right? You you get these hang tags and they've got like, it's moisture wicking and it's fucking bulletproof and whatever. There's like 39 things that it does. Imagine if a video came on as you were like trying this thing on and it really well articulated all of those things. And you're like, oh my God, like I would have never known that because who reads those tags? Like, honestly, but that's just another way to like inform the customer of the really cool stuff that a lot of these products do that quite frankly speaking, most of the customers have no idea, right? Like brands think they know and care and they're like, you know, this is a four-way stretch, moisture wicking, anti-odor, anti-stink, da, 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 da. And then like the customer's like, I just bought it because I needed a fucking Navy shirt and like I was going to work out. Like they have no idea what the stuff does. So I think that would be a really cool um, way to kind of present that information. Um, and that doesn't have to only be done in the dressing room. Like you could do that, like at the, at the rack, like imagine, you know, and once again, that's experiential. That's the customer going around the store and learning about these products that they have no idea. And by the way, while they're kind of walking around the store, either with their headphones on, kind of looking at this stuff, 
they're spending more time in your store. Steve, go ahead. Now, I was going to say a, a couple things on this. I think one, like in this discussion point, I think the important thing that, you know, to take away is one, like AI and these things are never going to replace really good salespeople. They just won't. It's impossible to replace that. It's impossible to replace somebody who gives you the TLC, the things we talked about earlier about, you know, when we're hearing like, you know, what, what, what Mary Beth is saying, what the person in one Nordstrom knew about her versus another one, right? Like that's impossible to replace. So, um, you know, obviously like, you know, I, I think what you said, James about, um, or maybe it was Bruce who said, if it lets them spend more time with the customer and actually be more caring, that's a really, really good net net, right? If I have some sort of, whether it's AI or some sort of suggestions or what you're talking about that says, Hey, maybe try this on and I can go get some clothes. Then, you know, uh, you know, Bruce or Matthew can come and be like, like, like you can tell me basically like Steve, your muffin top is not going to handle that. You can't, you know what I mean? They can give me the suggestion after that because I'm going to lie to the AI and pretend that I'm in better shape than I am. And they're going to, they're going to keep it real for me. So I think that that's like something you can't take away, but I also like the option of choices because personally, like I don't like to talk to a fucking human. Like when was the last time you called a pizza place to order a pizza via phone, right? It sucks. And when I go shopping, I do like to get help because I'm completely lost there, but there might be somebody who's, really good and knows what they're looking for to some degree um, who doesn't necessarily want to work with a salesperson. And I think it just gives you choices when you go to a store, but I don't think you're ever going to replace that sort of personalized experience you can get from someone when they're shopping and helping dress you. And like, you know, I think, again, I look at like someone like Matthew or Bruce or, or really a lot of people in this room, James, you included, who can look at me and like, James, you can look at me and you're like, I think you'll look sharp in a varsity jacket. And I'm like, nah, I can never pull that off. You're like, no, 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 I think you will. And like, I can then do it. And it's something I wouldn't have tried otherwise, but your knowledge brought me value. And I don't think like an AI thing was going to tell me to wear a varsity jacket. Cause you know, when you look at some of the boxes that they send to your house, those were in a box where you fill out a survey, I would never fill out some of the stuff that you would have me try on. And I would never have that discovery process. So I just think like there can be a combination of the two. And I think the tools can really help certain, even help the salespeople put together better things but then it's sort of like in football, like to make an analogy, James, I, I guess that, you know, like, like we would make, it's like there's analytics in football right now, but that doesn't replace coaching. People can't coach a football game on a computer. They have to actually make those decisions on the field based on what they're seeing. And the analytics are sometimes wrong. Like an analytics might tell you this is not a time to go for it on fourth down, but then Patrick Mahomes is going to come and say Travis Kelsey down the seam and they're going to go for it on fourth down and it's going to work. So I just think that there's, always going to be that push and pull on it. And I think even hearing this discussion makes me even more sort of bullish on the individual, like uh, a personal stylist, even more so because you can hear the distinct differences you would get from the tech. So just an observation from maybe like a fashion noob. Look, you, you can never replace a Bruce or a Matthew. I would, I would never even begin to say that. And that's, that's just, have you seen Matthew's calves? Irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. <laughs> He's got legs like a racehorse. Dude's got cake, man. That picture, I was like, I was like, damn, that was like those calves are. Just, yeah, he's he's ready to. Anyway, I that's enough but, about Matthew's calves. But here's the here's the here's the interesting point that you made that I'll, that I'll kind of like throw out there, and it probably makes sense. Like, yes, you're absolutely correct in terms of the football analogy, but what they they actually do use a lot of AI now um, in sports on the back end um, for analytics. But at the end of the day. The coach makes the call, right? And on the field, the quarterback makes the call. So you can't take them away, but you can always explore the use of the technology to enhance, but never replace. And I would, I would never advocate for that because I think it's bullshit. Like, pardon my French. Like, I, I just think I, I think that's what it is. Like, I don't think you can replace some of the intangibles that we just talked about. 
Um, but I'm hell bent on trying to figure out how, how brands and, and retailers can integrate the technology um, to start enhancing because I feel like retail is ready for that revival. Like, you know, would have been perfect coming out of COVID because everyone just get out. Imagine if like we all went into this experiential um, atmosphere, but it's, it's definitely coming. Um, Mary Beth, I think you, your hand went up before and uh, apologies. Mm. No, you guys kind of summed it up, truly. So, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I started too nice. I got Chick Fil A. No, uh, no, no. It's it's okay. I was just my overall like I thought I had kind of um, a thesis to go with this AI conversation, and I was like, I was thinking in my head like, so at this point when we're talking about retail experience, luxury experience, or maybe it's just retail experience, right? Is it more beneficial to the shopper or consumer? to have this AI or is it actually more beneficial, um, you know, for the brand or the store or the company to implement this AI? Because I think it would be super helpful, you know, behind the scenes, you know, from the department store point of view or the, uh, the store or brands point of view to implement this and, um, you know, in ways that I don't need to know about. Do you get what I'm saying? So that was just my thought. I, it becomes I, the trickiest situation of data collection, you know, like that's when it works in both ways, but that's also, yeah. you know, people being comfortable with that concept. And and when James was explaining like, oh, I walk into the store, I don't know if you said like I type something in or I check it, but like, I'm, I'm just like, oh, I just like it when they remember my face and then they know exactly which dressing room I like and what to not show me because they know I don't like this or that, you know? So that's just where I was kind of, you know seeing where the the lines were blurry i i agree with that but it's like shit at this point i just wanted them to acknowledge it i'm there uh half the time when i walk into stores now it's like i look at them like my my wife and i um we'll go into stores now and it's like a joking thing like we always look at each other because you look at them and they're just heads down on their phone and it's just like come on guys like at least say hello right like a chipotle when i I get better service at chipotle when i walk in everybody screams sure hey so you know what's yeah. You know what I was trained or I don't know. I wasn't trained, but I figured this out when I was 14 years old. So this was during like old school Abercrombie days. Okay. When they see like a young kid, I'm 14 years old and having two large Abercrombie bags, right? Not the plastic ones, but the paper ones with the models on them. I would always start there first during my shopping excursions because that said something for God knows what reason to like department stores when I would go into that store and they were like, Oh, who's this young girl who was able, because like, I know back in the day, it's either you had to buy a lot of stuff or you spent at least a couple hundred dollars at Abercrombie to get that bag. Right. Or they would just, they would up you from the tank top plastic bag to, Hey, the sweater and two shirts paper bag. And I would use those bags to go get the experience wanted from the other department stores so i don't know if yo that is so saying? real how about yeah. this the last week i have seen multiple people carrying the old school barney's co-op like fabric tote bags like i have one or two stashed from my days but i've been seeing it out on the streets of brooklyn everyone's like yeah i'm an og and i want you to know it it's like being on the upper east it's side a with a Clyde's tote bag it's like a style statement and so like in order, like, okay, so, like, last year, 
okay so i went i call it the zoo but it's really called the beverly center in la and um in order to get any kind of service i kid you not i brought in my louis vuitton shopping bags just to like get some kind of attention at certain stores because that that customer service like literally is not there anymore you know it's so true. So what I always tell people is act like you just truly don't give a shit and you have all the time in the world, whether you don't like walk in like you are the owner of the company. You walk 100%. in. 100%. If like, it's 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, wear on, your yoga clothes. You, yoga clothes and your best handbag. You fling the handbag like you, that wasn't like $7,000 that you scraped together uh, on like obviously a cushioned chair or a couch toss it on the couch like don't even look at it obviously make sure you're not at the very entrance of the store um you know walk immediately up to the second floor like that's what i do when i'm walking into a store i don't know i walk immediately to whatever the more private space is so it sort of signals to them um and then you know like i'll throw my coat i'll toss my coat like miranda Priestley. it's like an attitude if you have that attitude it catches their attention because most people who come in or or, you know it's you have to almost have the air of i already have all of this show me something really interesting well there's a there's a really interesting podcast i heard one day of uh, and i think it was actually on gary v it was on gary v and he was talking to a restaurant here um a restaurateur restaurateur i never knew how to say that anyway it doesn't matter and the guy made a really interesting comment. He said, we have this system that when, when somebody new comes into the restaurant, um, we, you know, I, I take the time and I go up to them and, and at the end of the meal, I give them a certificate for, you know, a 10% discount on their next meal. Right. And, and the next time the person comes in, the hostess makes sure that they alert that this is like their second time. They like fold the napkin over. They have all these signals. And and Mary Beth, to my point before, if they had a system of that's like, John Taffer, by the way, it had to be John Taffer. You, that's you his, remember, that, you're, that's you're his right. Move. Yeah, it John is. Taffer. So my point is, this kind of technology will allow, like, you know, individuals in the store to understand this type of information about the customers, right? So so that way, there could be kind of levels of service that you can offer um, by by having this information, because in retail, it's really really hard. People are coming in, coming out all day long. It's very tough to to have that kind of relationship anymore. And I know we want that. It's just not realistic, especially as the size of the score and the, the store and the square footage scales. So so think about that kind of service that then the, the that the individual can provide for you if they had that knowledge, right? Like so so I, I do like it, there's push and pull, right? Like some of it's great, um, but then obviously some of it would probably make make them lazy. But to to my point. You said you walked in with a Louis Vuitton bag. What if you walked in in, in plain clothes with nothing and they still had that information, right? They'd still view you kind of in the same way. So I just think that's food for thought. I don't know if anybody had any comments on that. That's true. Just was not my experience last year. You know, But like you're 100% correct. Yeah, but unfortunately, you- I think we've all had that. Go ahead, Steve. I think we've all had that experience. No, I mean, there's, there's two things here. I mean, I think one, <clears throat> to your point, like, you know, if you have an NFC chip that is in your clothes and you walk into a store, they can have all the information you need, right? Like that's a theory, in theory, a way that they could have what they need to know about you. And the example of John Taffer you talked about is really smart. Where like the people would go to the front of the restaurant and say, is this your first time dining here? And they said, yes, they gave him a blue napkin instead of a white napkin. So then they would know. And then the waiter would know how to talk and, and do and with them. And then they would know 
he talks about how people get addicted to discounts, but not free. So, you know, they would say like, oh, we're going to comp this for you. And here's a, you really like this. They would write something. Here's a personalized note for next time you come back to get this. And it's a way to kind of create this loop of customer loyalty, which is really personalized and interesting, which I think really comes down to just training your people really well, because anybody who knows like a good customer service group, like a crazy one is an example. I don't mind calling Fidelity on the phone because Fidelity is really easy to deal with. Like I don't, feel crappy like I hate and I just said earlier I hate talking to people on the phone um the other thing though that I think is important is like it's also a matter of preference based on frequency just like anything else right like again like this has probably come as no surprise that anybody's seen me as like I'm like the most generic looking middle-aged white dude on the planet so it probably doesn't surprise anybody that like when I was in high school I went to Abercrombie a lot right like and so because I went to Abercrombie a lot the people in Abercrombie knew me because I stopped by a lot. I smelled like the store at all times. I had like a cologne in my car and a cologne, like I had the whole nine yards, but I got better service because, and sometimes they gave me discounts and things like the manager because they knew I was there regularly. And there always will be that element of like, if you go somewhere consistently, you get to know the people because you are a high value customer because you go back a lot. That's one thing I, you know, that, really can never change, right? I mean, that's always going to be the case because that's how those personal relationships are formed. Your personal relationship with a salesperson, with a travel agent, with a, a banker who helps you, whoever it might be, is based on frequency. And so I do think it's important to kind of like mention like, you know, when we talk about bad service, like if I go to Nordstrom and I never go to Nordstrom, I'm not necessarily going to get white glove service the same way somebody who goes to Nordstrom every week does uh, and is constantly buying things. And that's just always going to be the way of the world. But that said, Again, just kind of bringing it back to blockchain, like there is the ability to have membership based things. You can put NFC chips in Nordstrom clothes or you can have a blockchain based membership that works that way that makes it so they do acknowledge you and you do get a special level of concierge service because you are sort of this card carrying member that you're able to then go in with. So there are ways to kind of verify that and, and make that stuff work. But at the end of the day, like it does come down to the way it's always been, which is if you go to Nordstrom every other day. And you go there for makeup and you go there for nails and you go there for, you know, shopping. Then, then they're going to know you and they're going to say, oh, you came here. You've been coming here. It's like, I've seen you coming here since you got your prom dress and you've been coming here for 10 years. Like they're going to know you and they're going to be like, I knew you when. And that's just going to get you a different level of service like anything else. So I do think it's like important to acknowledge that because like I, it is hard working. I mean, we all know, right? It's hard working in retail. Everybody here has worked in retail or food service or something, I'm sure. And it sucks. And there's constantly people coming in and sometimes people are just assholes. And that's just not fun. So I think that there's like those dynamics that also will always be a human element that come into play. Um, one thing I did want to touch on, because I, I thought it was really interesting, Mary Beth, when you were asking the question earlier, like, will these sort of like automation things be better for the retailer and the brand side or the customer? And I honestly think it can be both. Like looking at like, I mean, it's no different than blockchain. Like Starbucks can be, you know, can get a royalty in perpetuity on the sales of their stamps in their Starbucks Odyssey program, and that's good for Starbucks, and they can have better tracked customers and directly target them because they have the stamps and the uh, sort of you know data there. But the customers can also benefit by having digital ownership and selling them and being able to improve their loyalty based on that. So I think the automation, I think that's the great part about technology and probably why I geek out about it so much is that it's kind of better for everybody. Like you can connect with people better via social media as much as like, Twitter can become a nasty neighborhood and Facebook can become a cesspool. You can connect with people better that way. And, you know, you can, uh, you know, blockchain improves it. The web makes it so you can reach people all around the world and it's better for brands and it's better for consumers. Like Amazon works for everybody. 
So I do think that there's like those kind of win-win situations you could have there. So I, I think it's a really good question, like on that sliding scale of who it benefits more. But I do think like it can be beneficial to both because there are applications on both ends that can kind of make that a more powerful experience. I have a I have a quick question for anyone who's on stage, because um, obviously now that I'm thinking about it, I definitely have not gone shopping like in person on a consistent basis like I used to. Right. Do the the generation like I guess of retail salespeople and I, I obviously I'll like those the the Neiman's types or even like Louis Vuitton types, the people who start working, um, you know, as sales associates or stylists, whatever you want to call them at the respective stores, the ones who started working in those positions in the past, let's say, four or five years, are they the are people still sticking around like in that job or with that brand? Because you know, like how back in the day, like I, I, ha- I had like, the Louis Vuitton go-to guy I would go to literally was there for like 10 years and I had a five-year relationship with him. But is it still like that or is it just very rare these days? Um, yes and no. I'm going to say it depends on I – I can't speak for anyone who's like started in the industry within the last like five years. Um, but I do know people who are my age. I mean I'm 32. I know people who are like – in the 30 to 34 age range. Um, I know a personal, yeah, like from a personal shopper at Neiman's in New Jersey, who is super successful, was super successful and is now even only more successful with social media and, and being able to, you know, think of a outside the box and outside of the, the four doors or the four walls, 18 doors that, you know, she's sort of physically in. Um, I know a personal shopper at um, Saks on Fifth Avenue who is, she works with like everyone, like, like mega, mega, mega people. But also I've worked with so many brilliant people who, you know, either they don't have the following, they don't come, they don't have the, the, schmoozing the right schmoozing the right networking ability at a store and they float and they find something else and either they stay in fashion or they you know they go into something else um i think to be a lifer you have to be a little bit crazy and really really want it and believe in what you're doing um because after after you know like after a year and a half if it's not working you move on you know you don't spend a lifetime in a store unless it's the right fit um i would say that's that's really interesting and just for like disclosure i was never i am still not the one who's just like four thousand bag five thousand dollar bag ten thousand dollar bag like i just found it interesting because of the the couple lifers that i've worked with and i can only count them on one hand right they met me where i was like at any point in my life so like my first purchase at louis vuitton was probably like two hundred dollars like 15, 20 years ago, right? And then I would come in maybe six months later or maybe even a year later and my next purchase was $600, right? And like, but they always respected it and never left because someone buying an $8,000 bag was coming in the store. And so like, it's just definitely an art to that job position that I have always recognized and I really respect it. And so that's why I'm very into like the human interaction, um, you know, that will take social cues like that and respect that and work with it, you know? Absolutely. And it does definitely take a skill and it takes, 
Someone as crazy as it sounds, especially because of the just the consumerist society that we live in, is that it takes someone who's looking for more than just a quick buck. Um, the most important client, believe it or not, is not, you know, of course there's the, you know, like the 70, the 80, 20 rule where it's like 20% of your clients made make up 80% of your business. If you are only chasing the number one top tier of client that I can guarantee you, if you don't have a connection with them, because the stores will give you a list of people. These are lapsed clients. These are people who haven't come in, figure out why and connect with them. Um, so like when you have people like that and it's someone like, I don't know, Mercedes Kellogg Bass or Susan Hess or whoever, everyone who's gotten a list is trying to reach out to this person. Um, and it takes someone who's sort of dedicated and willing to maybe put in a little, little legwork and, you know, a little trust and actually genuinely connect with people as human beings, um, you know, because it's like, it's one of the reasons why I would never go back to traditional retail is because no matter how good the manager, the company just wants you to push, push, push. And it does take someone to, as you said, Mary Beth, to, um, you know, develop a relationship and be willing to develop a relationship. And Steve, even like you were saying, it's, it's, the number one client is not actually the most important. My number one client by tens of thousands of dollars every year at Neiman Marcus was my coworker, Irina, who was the Chanel DSA. And that's not to put down the massive spending other people did, but people who are spending massive amounts of money are also not shopping regularly. You aren't meeting a yearly quota. You're meeting a weekly quota or a monthly quota, um, you know, in these stores. And it really does take someone who's like, you know, you have to develop your, you know, what's referred to as the middle tier client, which is not a derogatory thing, but it's, it's the, the regular client, even if you're not even shopping, even if you're just popping in because you live in the neighborhood, you're walking the dog, you wanted to say hi. Sometimes, listen, people, most people are really shit to sales associates as well. They're pushy, they're mean. So even if you're someone who they remember because you're nice, and people so forget that. If you're someone who's just nice and like will pop in and like sort of, you know, do the same thing. Like remember when their birthday is and send them a text on their birthday. Like you, they, you, like you'll make a friend for life um, because no one ever does that. It's very, very rare. Um, so like, yeah, it, it's, it, it takes someone who's willing to, you know, develop and spend time and hopefully this technology will lead to more of that because, you know, it's like we need more people who are passionate about both fashion and customer service in this industry. Yeah, it's the most basic thing that like people don't do. Sorry, Mary Beth, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 no. I just I I, I wanted to pick up just that last part that Bruce said Bruce said about it's also on the customer side too, right? Like when sales associates or people who work in stores remember you because you're just simply nice, even if you didn't buy anything, you know? And, but I want to say that like, sometimes I feel like the advancements in technology, even with shipping or Amazon one day shipping, I think that certain technologies have brought to the table certain expectations of customers where they get so used to something, right? Like I, 
not gonna lie, I'm one of those people. I was like, why is it taking 40 minutes for my Uber Eats to come? You know, and like we are um, almost not involuntarily, but we're kind of programmed due to technology to have certain expectations. But I'm not saying that should wipe out the uh, option of being kind, right? But I, I, I'm interested to see how certain technologies will, you know, um, not mess with, but kind of get involved with what is evolving as the new sales and customer relationship. So go ahead, Steve. No, I, I love that you said that because I think like that, especially that part you said about the expectations of customers, because customers are generally like, I mean, I have generally bad experience with, I, I think what happens is to, at least probably in my experience working in like the service industry is that probably 70% of customers are just neutral. And then like maybe 10% or 15% are assholes and 15% are nice. Like there's a sliding curve or something. Right. But like you really remember the fuckers and that's part of the problem. I think too, when you're, when you get jaded in the service industry is you really remember those people who are extra bad. It's one of the reasons why, like, I, I don't know, like I, one of my like life missions is like trying to just preach the importance of kindness, which sounds very corny, but like, I think it's so overlooked that like if you just hold a door for someone or you let someone go in front of you or if you're driving in traffic and somebody's like tailgating you instead of being getting all mad and road raging, just move over to the side of the road and let them pass you because maybe they're headed to the hospital because they're, you know, their, you know, husband is in the ER. They're like, there's so many reasons. Maybe they're late for a job interview. Like, and just like having that level of kindness, like I try to have those moments, like, and I also am genuinely curious and like getting to know people, but like, you know, when sometimes when like, I'm talking like a flight attendant's handing things out and they're getting, st they're pouring the drink. I'm like, so you get to fly around a lot. Like, where's your favorite place to fly? And like, just those little questions. A lot of times they're like, huh, nobody's ever asked me that before. And then like, I get to learn something about them or learn when somebody says like Jackson hole, which you don't hear as often as you hear like LA or Miami or, and I just think those moments of the like, human interaction sometimes get lost. And I, I get reminded of it with actually on two ends of the spectrum, my 67 year old mom and my uh, 11 year old daughter, like both of them just chat with, you know, my 11 year old daughter with kids, obviously, when she meets them, but like she makes friends everywhere she goes. And I'm like, well, what'd you do? And she's like, well, I told her that she had nice shoes because I thought she had nice shoes. And I'm like, what a wonderful thing to do because that person probably felt good about themselves. Who knows if they were having a bad day. And then my mom, like she'll make best friends in like the Bahamas in the ocean with the random person she met while she was standing out there. And like, I just think that there's this like level of kindness to strangers that's led to skepticism you know, like, I think part of it is like to your almost technology to build on your point, Mary Beth, like, and I'm guilty of it. If I'm like, just not, I can just dive my head in my phone and ignore people anywhere I go. Right. Like you can always listen to a podcast. You can put an air bud, you can top pop on some beats. You can, you know, just mess around on your phone. You can pretend like you're busy. Like it's so easy to do that versus just having a kind interaction with somebody who's serving you. It was funny when my, um, in high school, my buddy was, he was the quarterback for my, like my best friend, the best man at my wedding. He was the quarterback for a football team and he got a herniated disc uh, playing football. So he was like getting surgery or whatever. And we went to the local mall and we told them that. And everybody at the local mall gave us free shit simply because we would talk to the people who like the old lady who worked the cookie stand, the guy who worked at Chick-fil-A, like all these different people. And they're like, yeah, let's give something for James. I hope he's okay. And it's simply because like, we just were kind and talked to them and they're like, normal people don't do that. 
And I just think there's some level of lost art to people just being kind to salespeople, kind to people that they do business with, kind to strangers on the street, just seeing someone in a nice shirt and being like, I like your shirt. You know, it's, it's simple as that. And you never know what someone's going through if you could make someone's day. And the other thing about it is like, if you're super kind to someone, a lot of times they're just super kind to someone else. And if they're not like, what did you do? Waste an act of kindness? No. So I just like, I don't know what you said there really resonated with me, both how technology I think has made us have an aversion to like having those interactions. Desensitization almost a little bit, at least. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Like we've desensitized ourselves to like those human interactions. And I think some people don't even know how to interact with each other anymore. I swear. Yeah, that's part of my gripe. I think it's more, it's like an awkwardness. Um, I think the sense of like, that's it. You're, you're even just talking about the sense of simple conversation, Steve, which as we know is, is almost like a lost art form. So I think that coupled with probably, I don't know, just an I don't give a shit mentality that it seems like, um, and I'm not, I'm not directing this towards youth, but just today's kind of worker, really. Um, so you can take that how it will, you know, how you will, because it's mixed. It's a mixed bag when you kind of go into places. Um, I think that's what causes pro- probably some of this problem. Um, I'm thinking at the top of the hour, and I'll just throw this out there. Uh, we could probably wrap unless somebody has a, a pivot to the conversation that they want to head in the direction. But I, I think uh, this is typically when we get to that time when everybody has things that they're uh, starting to get into um, when you get to, you know, seven o'clock. I know Steve uh, has milk and cookies, and so do I. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> I was, no, I was going to say, James, I, what I would love is like a takeaway homework assignment is I would love you or anybody else who wants to do it to try to design clothes in mid-journey and see what your most fire designs are. So if you go to Midjourney, you go to the Discord, it's like $8 a month for a subscription. You can get a free one early, like a free early on. What I would love to see is people like y'all who are like talented, smart, understand that industry, and just test the prompts where you're putting in shirts with different patterns and colors and whatever, and see if you pop out some designs that you otherwise wouldn't have thought of. and, And if it like is an enhancement to a tool, because like, and I think that's also a good example of where it's a tool because- I could never make what Bruce or Matthew or, or Mary Beth or Stacky or Stacy or like yourself, James or anybody else who's like, you know, you know, into fashion could make, but I'll be curious if the prompts are something that help you or if you're like, this is stupid. Or if like you start to refine them and figure it out, I'd be really curious to see what you can design. And also to build, build on that. Like you could probably design some fashion show like stuff because there aren't limitations in AR in, in, in AI. So you could probably do some wacky, wacky shit. I would love potentially, and I'll give it a try too if we want to have some fun this week. I would love the next Fashion Friday to like almost have a fashion show of AI designs. Like I think it would be really fun to like go into mid-journey. Everybody's got the same stuff. Try not to copy off each other's paper if we're in one of the newbie rooms together. But like just go in there, play around with it. You just put in the prompts and see like what kind of clothes we design and see if you come out with something you otherwise wouldn't have found. I think it'll be a fun homework assignment. Not saying I'm trying to give anyone work, but I think it'll be cool. I, I think that's an incredible idea. I'm down for that. We did the, I mean, first off, um, kudos to Stacky for uh, having last week's show and the way that she operated that because that was probably some of the most fun. Even though I didn't participate, I was literally learning a program um, that I'd never learned before. And I did it within two hours and I'm now hooked. So Steve, I've actually, I've actually started kind of tooling around with a little bit of what you're saying. So I'm, I'm down for that. I think we should all do that. Because that was why I said it, it excites me and scares me a little bit because some of the things that I've already seen um, are like, 
I'm just like, wow, like this, this could with the right prompts really have the opportunity to give a perspective that I just, my mind didn't go there. But before we do kind of like wind down, Tanya came up on stage. So um, Tanya, first off, happy Friday. How are you? Uh, you came up to probably contribute to something. So go ahead. Happy TGI Friday, everyone. Yeah, I was just working, um, was listening. But um, yeah, I, I helped launch NARS Cosmetics. You, if you're talking about high-end brand um, in 1996, I was with the Saxon Avenue, actually. Um, I did it for, I did it for seven years. Shiseido bought us. Um, see what happened. Right after September 11th, they were in the middle of um, negotiating. Shiseido got stuck in Boca Raton. That's where my counter was. So, but um, no, I was there for seven years doing it. I would still can do doing it. Um, a lot of the ladies I know actually retired from there. But um, this is before the pandemic. But then after the pandemic, a lot has changed. A lot of them, they're much more digital now too. All the um, I think the luxury brand, and I feel like they're all looking into the metaverse and creating that. They, there's a key word that I was just reading up on. It's called esca uh, escapism. Um, that's the new marketing trend where people can't afford what they can buy in real life, so they go in and get collecting it digitally with the NFT, and so that they can hang on to it. And if they were could afford it, but if they ha own the NFT, they can turn around and use it for other things that they would like for a T-shirt or anything depending on how it is but escapism is the key word and this year in 2023 you're looking at four different type of trend um one is a uh, uh, is it uh, magic you know uh like torah anything that's majestic that the other one is fairy the other one is sign like uh, sci-fi like you know alien different thing like that and then uh nostalgic so your 90s so I'm a little bit obsessed about that, but I don't do any, I don't do makeup anymore or anything, but I started out as a, a line person. I made $11 an hour. Um, by day, I was a makeup artist. By night, I was a Bacardi Limon girl. I was, I helped launch Bacardi Limon. So I, I was, this way I was, I could afford to have my own place. So I was able to pay. By day, I was a makeup artist. By night, I was a Bacardi Limon girl, but it was a different time. But now I think because of technology, there's so much opportunity. I know the fashion week is coming up. Very excited about that. I'm reaching out to a lot of makeup artists that I'm friends with on Facebook. I'm part of like a whole, there's actually like a big group makeup um, page that um, like if, you, if you're if you a company, a luxury brand company, you're looking for a makeup artist or you're looking for somebody, like, you can actually go in there and put a request. It's pretty interesting. But I think the luxury brand is going into the metaverse because the keywords is escapism. So I just want to give you my thoughts. I, I certainly appreciate the perspective and you are welcome up here anytime. We have these discussions um, every Friday. And I guess with uh, with that being said, we can kind of wrap it. I'll, I'll first kick it over to Matthew. Um, Matthew, did you have anything that you kind of wanted to close down on or um, anything to add? Um, I was wrong. It was Kid Super. That was uh, the one that's going to uh, be doing. Oh, not Kid Robot. I was like, yeah, Kid Robot? I haven't heard that in years. Okay, that's sorry, fine. my my brain farted, and yeah, that's what came out. But yeah, Kid Super is going to be doing uh, the next collection, I think. Okay, I was uh, I I actually had a friend that was uh, her name was Jen. She was pretty high up in Kid Robot, and uh, I was thinking about texting. I will not do that now because she would have been like, "What are you talking about?" But um, anywho, um, Steve, anything, Mary Beth, Stacky, Bruce, Tanya. Otherwise, we will uh, we'll wrap this sucker down. Yeah, please send me another invite next time. 
We definitely will. Uh, Mary Beth, did you have anything else there? Yeah, just wanted to say it was really dope talking about this. I felt like I was having a real, like, almost kind of, I'm in a a, a college classroom type, hey, let's have discord on technology and fashion. Um, But it was really dope. And so thank you. Well, next week, we're going to play around with technology and fashion. uh, Yes. So it's lab work. We got lab next week. Yeah, we got lab next (laughs) week. But no, in all honesty, uh, massive appreciation to Stacky um, and and kind of kicking that off last week. She got my wheels turning. Um, now I'm a bit of an AI maxi. I was looking into the tech before, and now it's like I'm, I'm in hook, line, sinker. Um, and massive appreciation to everyone that came and joined us today. I hope this was valuable um, to you and for you. Um, we do run this back every Friday, um, 5 p.m. EST. Uh, check out um, either my page, Stacky's page, Matthew, Steve, we all pretty much tweet and or retweet um, this space. Uh, and you'll kind of see what, what the topic might be, um, although we already know what we're doing next week. So once again, thanks for joining us. You could have done anything with your day. You decided to spend that um, listening to us kind of debate uh, retail and the future of as it relates to the technology. Uh, we appreciate that. We appreciate you. I hope you have an incredible night. An even better weekend. Go touch grass. Be with family. Do your thing. I'm going to be with my family. um, And I'm actually going to start that now. So everybody take care. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. As Steve might say.